following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. Normally, we stand up and say, open your Bibles too, but Denny already did that. If uh, you're not in your Bibles, uh, there's one in front of you. You can go ahead and um, open that. It is on page 1642. If you do not have a Bible, by all means, take that one. Um, It is our gift to you, and please read it. Um, But we are in the Gospel of Luke, so Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And then uh, we are in chapter 24, and we're going to go through the entire chapter, so we need to kind of pick up the pace here a little bit. The big numbers are going to be the chapters, and the uh, smaller numbers are going to be the verses. Jesus, in Luke chapter 9, verse 22, actually predicted that he would rise. It says the same thing in chapter 18 as well, but it's interesting, nobody believed that it would happen. It's funny, Jesus says a lot of things, but people don't take him at his word. In Luke chapter 24, verse 11, the disciples said that Jesus' resurrection was absurd. However, after the resurrection, the disciples and many others came to see that their words were false. Thank you, Jesus, that your words are true and our words are false. And as they came to trust Christ... And take him at his word. We learn in Luke 24, verse 36, that they become powerful, fearless witnesses for Christ. What does it mean to be a powerful, fearless witness for Christ? Well, it's not the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. It's withstanding all types of hardships. The disciples had beatings, and they faced even death. And so today, being at and in Christ church, we stand with the disciples. We believe, and there's a little white booklet in front of you if this is not your home church or if you're visiting or if you're checking us out, what we believe. The doctrinal statements are important. And we believe that Jesus rose from the dead We believe that he still stands today seated at the right hand of God, and we believe that the resurrection is still speaking. And we can see it in the testimony of the saints that are gathered here. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is our foundation. It's our confidence. It's the hinge of the door of Christianity. Christ is alive. He guides his church. He gives us power through the Holy Spirit. And if we believe and trust, that's the key word. I spent many years in church thinking I knew Jesus, but what I knew was about Jesus. Then through faith and trust in Christ, I came to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. So just because you're here doesn't guarantee you entrance into eternity or a relationship with God. It has to be trusting Christ in faith alone. I put my faith in Christ alone. 
Christ conquering death is an offering of resurrection power from the dead to all. And today we learn about that. Well, I never assume that people know what we're talking about. So who's this Luke guy? As a matter of fact, the other day I was talking to somebody and I said, Paul. And they said, Paul who? Paul down the road? And I said, no, the Apostle Paul. They go, I don't know him. And I said, well, I do, so let me introduce you to him and his friend Luke. In Luke, we have a gospel. A gospel is a good news account of Jesus. 1 Thessalonians says that Christ came, Christ died, Christ rose again. The Bible continues and says that he ascended to the right hand of God. Luke's gospel is penned by Luke, who is a Syrian physician. He's not a Jew. He's from Antioch and is written about 60 A.D. Luke composed this letter. If you want, you can go to chapter 1, verse 1, but don't because then you'll get lost, and we don't need that. He wrote this letter with the purpose in Luke chapter 1, verse 1, to give a careful interpretation of the events of Christ's life in a chronological order to a man named Theophilus. Who's Theophilus? Nobody knows. There's some mysteries in the biblical text. But thank the Lord that Luke does this. Theophilus is a man like us. He's curious for unknown reasons about Christ. Christ claimed to be the Messiah. And so Luke, as a physician, is very meticulous, and he provides in precise quality a two-volume account. Now, you're probably thinking, I thought it was only one volume. Well, that's not true. Luke is part one. Acts is part two. Luke tells us about Christ and what he did, and then Christ ascends to the right hand of God. He gives his Holy Spirit, and then it shows how Christ's work continues in the life of his believers. And so Luke shows that Jesus is Lord, this God-man, 100% God, 100% man, who came to minister and to show compassion on us. He took pity on us. Thank you, Lord. What has Luke written about so far? Well, in the account, so far we have an angel named Gabriel who foretold the birth of John the Baptist, and then we learn about the angel Gabriel talking to Mary about having a son named Jesus. Now, you know about this because it's called Christmas. And so here we are at Easter. And so we fast forward through Jesus' life, over 300 Old Testament, Old Covenant prophecies, all fulfilled here at the closing of Luke, chapter 24, verse 1, we start to see people encounter this risen Christ. And in each one of these cases, each individual comes depressed, but they leave joyful and praise the Lord. And prayerfully, if you came to church this morning depressed, you'll leave joyful. Because church should be joyful. The same can be said about us. And here we see three people who encounter the resurrected Christ. Let's encounter him today. All right. Uh, this is the Pew Bible. I read out of the ESV Bible. So I'm switching to my Bible. Okay? Because I like my Bible. <clears throat> but on the first day of the week... And here we see the women and the apostles. I know Denny just read this, but bear with me. At early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away. Now, pause for a second church. We'll learn later that Jesus can walk through walls when he's resurrected. 
So the stone was not rolled away because Jesus rolled it away for himself. It's rolled away so that the women and the apostles could peek in and see that Christ is not there. It's for you and for me. Jesus could have risen from the dead and just gotten out of there. He doesn't need the stone to be rolled away. But it's rolled away so that we would peek inside and see the resurrected Christ. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And they went in. And they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. And sometimes the Bible should say, no, duh. Duh. And while they were there, I love this word. It says that they were perplexed. They're like dumbfounded about what's going on. Sometimes when emotion gets heightened, you forget what Jesus said. And thank God, messengers from God come to tell you what happened. So two men stood beside them. We believe them to be angels. They were in dazzling apparel, whiter than Clorox bleach. And the women looked at these angels, and they were, anyone? Frightened. And they bowed their faces to the ground. And the men said to them, "Um, excuse me, and I love the humor here, why do you seek the living among the dead? By the way, Jesus, being God, is the author of humor. I think he was a very, very funny man. Sometimes we're so serious, right? Laugh a little. The angels do. Verse 6. He is not here, but he has risen. And it's tradition in uh, Christian circles and Easter's when it says he has risen. They respond, he has risen indeed, so we might as well do that. He is risen. risen Remember how he told you that? Oh, yeah. He did tell us that. That the Son of Man must be delivered to the hands of sinful men to be crucified on the third day. He must rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told these things to the eleven and the rest. Well, why isn't there not twelve? Well, Judas is dead. And so that's why there's only eleven. And Matthias has not yet been chosen yet. That's later in the text. Now, who are these women and why is it important? Well, we got Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and other women with them. Who is that? Well, Mary uh, Magdalene was one of Jesus' most devoted followers. If you remember, she was cured of demons by Jesus. Joanna is believed to have been the wife of Chusa, who was a steward of Herod Antipas, And in Luke chapter 8, she's listed among the women who provided financial support for Jesus' ministry. Everybody needs a good woman supporting their ministry. Financially helps too. And Mary, the mother of James, is the wife of Clopas, which maybe, just maybe, might be Jesus' aunt. There's some speculation around there. So they bring spices back to verse 11. And they told these things to the apostles. And it's interesting the word is apostles used there because that's one who's seen Jesus. And they're saying to the apostles, remember you saw Jesus and he said he would do these things. But these words seem like an idle tale. And they did not believe them. But Peter, now it's interesting, John says in John's text, in his account, that it's Peter and John both go. John, being very humble in his account, says he outran Peter, which I think is hilarious. 
And he runs to the tomb and he stoops down and he is perplexed too as well. He looks in and he sees the linen cloths by themselves and he went home and he marveled at what happened. Now your text might have that these cloths were folded correctly and they were placed in there. Jewish tradition says that if you were to share a meal with somebody at their house and you enjoyed the meal, you would essentially take your napkin and you would crumple it up and you would put it on the plate as a sign that you had a good time. If you didn't enjoy the meal, you would fold that linen and you would put it there and say, I don't want to come back here ever again. Jesus folding the clothes before he left says, this was not a good time and I don't want to come back again. Now, when these women bring these spices for his burial, this was a showing of respect, and it covers up the decay. It's normal in that time period. And we jump over to Mark's account, and we learn that these women bring these spices after the Sabbath was over. It was supposed to be done earlier, but they couldn't. And they were perplexed by these angels And Peter goes running. And as we get to that bottom portion of verse 12, we ask ourselves a question. And I'll ask you the question. Who are you like in the story? Are you like the women or are you like the apostles? If you're like the women in verse 3, the angels ask them why they're looking in a tomb for somebody who is alive. People go looking for God in dead places all the time. And when they go looking for the dead, Jesus shows up and Jesus says via his messengers, I'm not among the dead. I'm among the live. I am living. You ever lost your car keys? It is the most infuriating thing in the whole entire world. You will search for them in the same place Every single time. Do you ever notice we keep going back to the place as if they'll magically appear? I know it. I left them right here. Obviously, you didn't. I'm really good at lying to myself. But you search for them in the same place, and you try different strategies and locations. You think, if I turn around and then I come back, they'll be there, and they're not. And the same is true with Jesus. We go looking for him among the dead when he is alive. Open your eyes to him. The Bible says that we have two revelations from God. One is general revelation. You know what general revelation is? General revelation is looking outside and realizing there's a creator of the universe. That this did not just appear. That the God of the universe created all this. You can see his fingerprints everywhere. The other type of revelation is special revelation, that God has given us his word. He has given us Jesus. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He has given us the testimony, as you heard, of the saints. He is alive. He is not among the dead. Now, the disciples, we're going to talk about this real quick, and then we're going to put a pin in it because we're going to come back to the disciples in just a minute. But they're in one of four stages of belief. A couple of disciples think this is like a Disney movie. They believe it's like a fairy tale. They say that that's an impossible story to believe. Obviously, like some of us, they weren't listening to Jesus' sermons when he was preaching them. The second type of belief is a skeptic, like Peter. Peter is skeptical, but he goes to check the facts. The third type of 
uh, belief is the doubter. Now, a lot of us resonate with the doubter, don't we? Like, we believe, but yet we still doubt, and we're among good company when it comes to biblical uh, encounters like that. And then the fourth is the true believer who believes and trusts in faith that Jesus was the Messiah. We believe that these women trusted that Jesus was Messiah. The apostles will do that when it's debated, but yet they still believed. Everyone is in one of those four stages, including us who are here today. Well, the passage continues. Let's go to verse 13. And on that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus. Now, this is after everything had transpired in the first 12 verses. And they were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. That's a pretty long walk. And they were talking with each other about these things that had happened. Did you hear what those women said? Did you hear the way they said it to the disciples? Yeah, I can't believe her tone. And while they were talking and discussing together, here comes Jesus. And he draws near and went with them. Now, I'm always pondering, why didn't they recognize Jesus? Well, first and foremost, Jesus was just horribly beaten. And so his resurrected body looks a little different than it did about 12 to 24 hours ago. And so they weren't expecting Jesus to look like Jesus. But it also says in verse 16 that their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And they said to them, now this is, this is Jesus' humor 101. What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? Jesus, don't you know everything? Yes, yeah, sometimes you have to ask leading questions to get people's attention. And as they stood still, which means they stopped walking, they looked sad. And one of them named Cleopas, now this is interesting. Cleopas, it is believed by some people that that is Mary, the mother of James, in the first part of the text's husband. If that's true, that's Jesus' uncle. I don't know if that's true or not, I just think it's interesting to that. Answering him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? And Jesus says back to them, what things? Kind of smug, Jesus, right? What are you doing? And they said to him, well, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, he was a man, he was a prophet, he was mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. Just last week, we had palm branches and we were waving because we thought he was going to be our new president. And he didn't do it. It's Jesus, guys, a disappointment. The word before God and all the people, <clears throat> even our chief priests, the rulers, delivered to him, verse 20, to be condemned to death and crucified him. Were you not there? Verse 21, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yep, and besides this, it's the third day since these things happened, and moreover, some women in our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they didn't even find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels, that he was alive. But some of those who were with us went into the tomb. Actually, there was a foot race between John and Peter, and John won. Jesus said he always was fast. 
And they found it just as the woman had said. But him they did not see. Who's him? Jesus. And he said to them, he didn't condemn them. He didn't look at them. He didn't say, you dum-dums. That's not what he said. Jesus shows up right where we're at. He asks questions, and then he gives compassionate answers. When he says, oh, foolish ones, you slow of heart to believe, he's not saying that in condemnation. He's saying that with concern. Was it necessary for Christ that he should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then one of the best sermons that has never been recorded is being preached to two men. And the Bible says where two are gathered, I am there, and Jesus is there with these two men. And look what it says in the passage of Scripture. It says, beginning with Moses, which is why we're preaching Deuteronomy right now, by the way, and all the prophets, major and minor, big books and little books, he interpreted to them, all the scriptures, all things concerning himself. Can you imagine what that would have been like to have Jesus exegete or explain the scriptures in a way that you could understand? And they drew near to the village to which they were going. And I love this. Jesus does this a lot, doesn't he? He acted as if he wanted to go further. If you go to the account where Jesus is walking on water, it's almost like he's passing by the boat. If anything, I think this is good validation that Jesus believes that walking is good. You should walk. And he urged them strongly, I want to keep going. But they're like, no, 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 stay with us. We're tired. Come, come, sit down. Let's eat. It was toward evening, verse 29. And the day is now far spent. It's getting dark. And he went in to stay with them. And while he's at the table with them, he took bread and he blessed it. That means he prayed over his food and he gave it to them. And as he gave it to them, can you imagine this? Just put your mind around this church. Jesus, the resurrected Messiah, hands these men bread and their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Jesus, that's who you are. That's, I got it, I got it, I got it. Did you see? I got it, absolutely. Where'd he go? That's what he does. Look at, keep say with the text. And he vanished from their sight. Just when you think you got him pegged, he disappears. He David Blaine's out of there. And now they're really confused. And he says to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures, and they rose that same hour and they returned to Jerusalem? We gotta go with the company of women and we need to tell them the 11 and those who were with them gathered there saying, the Lord, he has risen. And there's the indeed, you can circle that. And he has appeared to Simon, that's Peter, And they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. And here's the three things the resurrected Christ does on this road. We're going to go through these really fast. Number one, he asks questions. Praise the Lord that God asks us questions. Who am I that I am a man that God would ask me a question? Jesus asking is Luke showing how Jesus' ministry and his death were known to everybody in the city, and he's letting them verbally process. John Piper says this. He says, thinking is one of the important ways that we put the fuel of knowledge on the fires of worship and service to the world. Jesus asks because he wants us to seek him out. He wants us to see who he really is. God's asking you a question, who am I to you? God's asking you a question. Who am I to you? 
Am I just some guy who stands up and gives good sermons? Am I just some prophet who looks good on the surface? Or am I savior of the world? Number two, he affirms, thank God. He reproached the men for not understanding or believing, and he affirms that he is the Messiah. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul tells us that in the book of Romans. And Jesus responds by going to Scripture. Church, I am not here to give you my opinion on the things of this world. I'm here to give you Scripture. Scripture is always God's affirmation. This is the affirmation that he has given us. He drew near to them, and beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures. He opened to Isaiah 53 and talked about the suffering servant. He goes back to Moses, back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he shows them how he was present throughout all of the biblical texts, and it's a beautiful endeavor when you walk with Jesus that way. And he allows... When Jesus broke bread with the men, their eyes were opened, and he allows them. Thank the Lord that he allows us to come to the table and eat with him. I am a sinner, not welcome at a king's table, but with Christ. Oh, I am a sanctified saint, always allowed to have a seat with the Messiah. F.B. Meyer says it like this. He says, peace be unto you. I love that. Jesus himself is here. We need nothing else. You need nothing else. When you're terrified, when you're afraid, you may fear the consequences of your sin. Fearing the approach of your enemy. Fearing the future with its unknown contingencies. But Jesus himself is the antidote of fear. 365 times in the Bible it says, do not be afraid. One for each day of the year. He keeps the soul that trusts him with the double doors of peace. And so there's three takeaways here. Number one is, we need to be aware. Church, Christ is right in front of your face, and he's often asking you questions. And in Christ's questions to us, we need to be authentic. I was telling Bethany the other day, uh, actually this was last night, about a uh, a popular preacher who was uh, talking about the two thieves on the cross. And as he talked about the two thieves on the cross, he was saying how the thief that trusted Christ died and goes to heaven and the angels look at him and they say, should you be here? And he looks back at them and he says, well, yeah, I think so. They're checking their files and they're going to the superior angels and they're talking to the superior angels and they're like, what's this guy? How how come he's here? Do you know about the justification of your sins? Never heard of it. How about sanctification? Do you believe in the sanctification being set apart for your sins? Uh, What are you talking about? And they look at him and they say, well, how did you get here? And he says, the man on the middle cross said that I could come. And he took action. The man on the cross who looked at Jesus and said, I want to be in paradise with you forever, took action. God is waiting for us to take action because he already took action for us. And that action is to have faith and believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's done his part. And we sit here and we say, God, you should do more. He's like, I can't do any more than what I've done on the cross. So you have to come to me because I already came to you. I love the world so much that I sent my only begotten son that whosoever would believe upon him will not perish but have everlasting life. You have to come to me in faith. 
Because God's already come to you in redemption. And the text isn't over. Verse uh, 36. And as they were talking about these things, this is why I love Jesus. He's my awkward friend. He shows up in the craziest places. Now notice this, church. In this text, all these men had deserted Jesus. One disciple is at the foot of the cross. One. And all of these disciples are no doubt afraid. The condemnation of God is going to fall upon us. And Jesus says to them, get out. No, he doesn't say that. He says, peace to you. To a band of fishermen and tax collectors who had abandoned him at his darkest hour. Would you say that to your friends or enemies? No, you would not. He says, peace to you, verse 37. And they were startled. No, duh. And they were frightened, and they thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do you doubt? Why are these things rising up in your heart? And I love what Jesus does. He offers them his hands. And my question would be, which still is my question, everything else in you is healed, Jesus, but yet this one part. And he says, perhaps it's still there so that your doubts could cease. See my hands and my feet. It's truly me. Touch me. See, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. I love verse 41. And while they were still there, disbelieved for joy and marveled, he said to them, You guys eat around here? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish because that's all they had. Isn't it amazing that they give him a piece of broiled fish after they had just, in some time past, fed 5,000 people with fish? And he took it and he eats it before them. So he's proving that he's not a ghost. He's digesting food. He's showing them he lives in a resurrected body. He's showing them he's really Jesus. 44, he says to them, these are my words that I have spoken to you while I was with you. Now watch this. He he does it again. That everything written about me in that Old Testament, the law of Moses, the prophets, the Psalms, had to be fulfilled. I think, and I can't prove this, but I think Jesus has compassionate tears in his eyes when he says this. And then he opens their minds to understand the scriptures. He does that every week for us, church. Every time we get up and we walk through a passage of text and we do it in a correct, God-honoring way, Jesus opens our minds to understand the scriptures and we mature in our relationship with Christ. Thus it is written that Christ should suffer on the third day. He should rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed In his name to all the nations, starting with you, starting with Jerusalem, you are my witnesses of these things. Behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. Stay in the city until you're clothed with the power upon high. 
I'm going to go through these so fast. Three evidences of Jesus' resurrection. Number one, church, he really resurrected. I already told you how. I already talked about it. God's word proclaims it. The saints who have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit testify to it. Your calendars are dated by it. I'm not going to give you any secular garbage theology about all these things, about proving the resurrection, because I'm living testimony that Jesus rose from the dead. Number two, he really fulfilled the law. Don't get rid of your Old Testament. I know some of you just bailed out in your 365-day reading plan because you got to Leviticus and you were like, this is a lot. But all of those things, all of that law, all of this do this, all of this don't do this, Christ fulfilled. John chapter 3.17 says he is not a condemnation, he is a salvation. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 23, Paul articulates this so well to the church of Galatia. He says, we were held in custody under that law. For some of you who don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that's you this morning. You are locked up, but faith Paul says, should be revealed. So the law became our guardian to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. And now that faith, Jesus, has come and we're no longer underneath condemnation. We can be under Christ. In Galatians, it says in chapter 2, verse 16, that we praise the Lord, that we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law. It was already said just a little bit ago about how you cannot work for your salvation. But it has to be through faith in Christ alone. So we put our faith in Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Are you tired of working for your salvation? Church, some of you are professing believers and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ because you're still working for God's grace. I sat in a pew for a long time before I realized that it is not by works that we are saved. It is by grace alone. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. If you look at me and said, I'm a good person, I would look back at you and say, by what standard? Who are you comparing yourself to? He really resurrected, he fulfilled the law, and he's really coming back again soon. And it is high time for people who stand in pulpits and church parishioners and people who believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to loose their lips and open their mouth and tell people the good news that Christ is coming back again soon. It happened. It will happen again. Billy Graham says it like this. He says, Bible teaching about the second coming of Christ was thought as doomsday preaching, but not anymore. It is the only ray of hope that shines in an ever-brightening beam in a darkening world. You turn on any news source, you talk to any person who's negative or has a pessimistic attitude, and you say, Christ is coming back again soon. These things are just so bad in society today. Christ is coming back again soon. These things are transpiring. Will anybody stand and step in the way? Yeah, absolutely. Look at verse 50. He led them out as far as Bethany, lifted up his hands, blessed them, as his disciples, prayed for them, and as he is blessing them, he parted from them and was carried up from heaven. And the response is worship. Now, this is not hymns. They did not stand there and say, well, let's open up our hymnal to 352. All right, here we go. Praise God from whom all bless. That's not how this worked. They worshipped him that he had come, that he had died, that he had rose again, and he ascended. 
My question is always, how long did they stay there? And they returned Jerusalem with what? Great, say it. I got the joy, 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 joy down in the depths of my heart. Where? Down in the depths of my heart. See, some of you grew up in church, so you know what I'm talking about. They did not leave sad. They did not walk away discouraged. They did not walk away heartbroken. They walked away after encountering the resurrected Christ with great joy. So what do you do with all this? If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, your response is to believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Confess with your mouth, repent of your sin, believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and be saved. For those of us who know Jesus as our Savior, go and sin no more. If Christ had a role in the Old Testament law fulfilling it, he did not do that so that you could go and be fruitful in your sin. He says, go and sin no more. I would only imagine that the thief on the cross had a conversation with Jesus in heaven and say, I wish I would have lived my life different. I could have done so many things for you. I could, have, I could have done this, I could have done that. Well, we can't live off couldas and shouldas. But since we're alive now, we can live in the fullness of the Holy Spirit as Christ has commanded us to go. And we anticipate his return. As believers, we share the same anticipation for the return of Christ that his followers had in Jerusalem. They left with great joy. They left with great joy. Joy. Now, um, I know this is Resurrection Sunday. I get that. I, I understand that. But I also love the second part because I like this place. I love Christ Church. It, it, it brings me great joy to be here every single week. We do this every single week. And when Sunday comes, we're kind of surprised. Christ didn't come back this past week. That's okay. Praise the Lord. We're going to celebrate that he rose from the dead. They came with great joy. And look what it says. They were continually in the temple. In the temple. Oh, I like that. I want to beat on that a little bit more. <laughs> they went to the temple. If there is something to be said about consistency, it is in regards to the fellowship of the saints. And they went with consistency continually in the temple and they blessed God, not themselves. They blessed God. A famous philosopher once said, it is not what we have a short time to live, but that we waste a lot of it. Beloved, let's not waste our time in complacency or distraction, but let's keep watch. Be alert, sober-minded, eagerly anticipating the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. It could be today. May we welcome to know Christ as Savior. And then for those of us who know Jesus, cling to him daily, boldly sharing the gospel, continually praying for his coming, asking him to help us with our sin and struggles. May we make the most of every moment we have and live our lives in faithful obedience to him for every day. Every day is Resurrection Sunday. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this truth that you have given to us. What an amazing opportunity is to have just a little walk with Jesus. 
If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Bible makes it so clear. It says if you confess your sin and repent of that sin, turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, confess Him as Savior and Lord, you'll be saved. You don't have to have your act all cleaned up. If that's you this morning, you just pray this with me. Say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Savior, and I trust in him today. If you've made that decision, when our service closes, there's going to be people with yellow lanyards around the sanctuary, and there's going to be Pastor John and myself will be up. Come, come find us. Come tell us about you coming to know Christ. If you're here this morning and you are a believer, you confessed upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we need your help. We need your help. We ask that you would fill us with the power of the Holy Spirit to be more than conquerors in Jesus Christ, that we would have the ability to eliminate sin that is so prevalent in our lives, and that we would make a conscious effort to be consistent in doing what you would have us to do, in daily taking up our cross and following you, in daily spending time with you, in spending time with the saints, being in fellowship with one another, realizing that it is such a blessing to be a part of the family of God. Heavenly Father, I pray for conviction, but also encouragement to know that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. May we live with this, this great reminder that you came and that you're coming back again soon. Help us, Lord Jesus, we pray in your name. All God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.